Let's pray that God would give us understanding of his word today. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do pray that you might turn our hearts and our minds to your word now, especially as we consider a really important question, Lord, especially as we consider uh, what you have done with all of our prayers for Mike. And Lord, we pray that you might teach us to pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. My first memory of Mike was my first staff meeting here. Uh, we were in the upper room out in the hall and uh, we were sitting down. I don't remember what we were talking about. Everything was going well. And uh, all of a sudden, Mike stood up. All kind of six foot four of Mike stood up right kind of next to me. And I had no idea what was going on. I thought, have I done something to offend him? Is he upset? Is this a, a kind of a power move? Is he kind of asserting dominance? What's kind of going on? Um, and uh, it, it was very, very strange. I didn't know what was happening. And it must have kind of shown on my face because after the meeting, Mike took me aside and explained to me, look, I've, I've got a bad back. I just can't sit for too long. Uh, and thus begun a whole series of meetings where all the rest of us would sit but the, Mike would kind of loom over us, uh, not intending anything, uh, but just because he, he couldn't sit for very long. Um, I used to make a point, actually, of sitting across from Mike so that I didn't kind of get a crick in my neck from trying to uh, meet his eyes as, as he talked. Uh, but what also began that day was a partnership in gospel ministry that I'll never forget. Uh, Mike was a lot of things. He was a husband to Vicky, a father to, to his boys. He was a, a good friend. He was a pastor to many of us. But... He was, to me, a fellow soldier of Christ Jesus. He was a servant of the same master. He was someone in whom I could have absolute confidence in any ministry or any task that he undertook. Uh, God has given me the privilege of working alongside some wonderful men and women in my service of him. And Mike will forever be remembered by me as one of the greats. It was always a joy to sit under his teaching. And I was always, will always be thankful of the time I got to work alongside him. Mike's diagnosis with pancreatic cancer 12 months ago hit me, like many of us, very hard. But the one thing that encouraged me greatly as it happened was that we became a people of prayer. His sickness brought us to our knees. We gathered together for, for prayer meetings. We, we prayed in small groups. We prayed in church. There was a new neediness to our prayers, a new eagerness, a new energy for our prayers. Uh, we prayed for, for many, many things, and we received many, many answers to those prayers. But above all, we prayed that Mike would be healed, that he would be returned to us. But he was not. He died in June. We prayed a lot, and yet God did not give us what we asked for. And on the Saturday morning, sorry, the Sunday morning after Mike died, I preached a sermon on 1 Thessalonians 4, and someone came up to me straight away afterwards, and they really put their finger on it. They asked me the question, what did God do with all of our prayers for Mike? And that's the question that I want to answer for us today. I think it's a really important question that we consider, and that we consider carefully from God's word. What did God do with all of those prayers for Mike? In fact, what does God do with any of our prayers, especially when he does not seem to answer them? 
And there's three things, three things that God does. Uh, first of all, he, God listens to them. He listens to our prayers. Uh, secondly, God considers our prayers. And lastly, then, God answers our prayers. Uh, and we'll go through these one by one. You can see the outline that's there uh, in, the, in what you received this morning. It's up on the screen. And it is a big topic, so we're going to move through these things one by one, but we're going to move around in the Bible quite a bit this morning so we can get a feel for what all Scripture has to say about these things. But firstly then, God listens to our prayers. He hears them. God is never so far away that he cannot hear us when we pour out our hearts to him. He is never too busy to listen to our cries for help. And that is the testimony of all of the Scriptures. But one of the places that you see that most beautifully is the Psalms. Uh, so, uh, here's just a, a few places. Uh, Psalm 18, uh, verse 2. Oops, no. Uh, Psalm 18, verse 2 says this. It says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of salvation, my strongholds. And yet, how can God be our rock and our redeemer? How can he be the one who cares for us? Because, verse 6, in my distress, I called to the Lord, I cried out to God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry came before him into his ears. God is our rock and our redeemer because he hears our prayers. He listens when we cry out to him for help. Or Psalm 34. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. To blot out their name from the earth, the righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. Uh, the Apostle Paul even picks this up in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12, where he encourages us not to be frightened, precisely because it is the Lord God who listens to us when we pray. Or Psalm 145. This is going to be the bane of my existence all day, I know. Psalm 145. Uh, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord is near. The Lord is attentive to all of our cries. And he hears our prayers, he hears our desires, particularly our desire for salvation, our desire for rescue, for redemption. And so Proverbs 15 sums it up beautifully. Uh, Proverbs 15 says, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. It's as simple as that. God hears the prayers of the people he has made righteous and chosen for his very own possession. In fact, it's so simple that Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 7 to 8, uh, is the great boast of Israel. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them in the way that the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as the body of laws I am setting before you today? And so too it is with us. What other people is so privileged as to have God's word? And what other group of people is so blessed as to have God near to them as the way that God is near to us? Near to us that he can hear whenever we speak to him. 
God listens when we pray. Which is why the scriptures consistently encourage us to pray. So Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about everything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. A prayer there is described as the the pouring out of our, our anxious hearts towards God, not neglecting to be thankful in the process. There is nothing that we cannot ask for. Prayer is a petition. Prayer is presenting our requests to God, presenting our needs, acknowledging our weaknesses, whatever our situation is. And in place of our anxieties, we're told God will give us peace. And his peace will keep us in Christ. And our need is emphasised in other places too. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God's will for us in Jesus is that we be a people of ceaseless prayer, bold in approaching our God. So 1 John chapter 5 says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. The consistent promise of God is that he is more willing to hear our prayers than we are willing to pray them. Prayer is the constant companion in the Christian life. Martin Luther, the great 16th century reformer, once said that to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Prayer is to spiritual life what breathing is to physical life. And that is God's vision of our Christian life, us always pouring out our hearts to God, telling him how we feel telling him what we worry about, what we're afraid of, what scares us, what we need, what we appreciate. But there is to be no day that passes where we do not speak to God in prayer. And there is nothing in our lives, no matter how big or or how small, how, how minuscule, that is not worth bringing to our God in prayer. Precisely because our God is both willing and able to help. So 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Once again, prayer is described as casting off all of our anxieties as we cast them onto God. An act of humility, acknowledging how God is, how big he is and how small we are. And there are great incentives to pray, aren't there? Including the might and the power of God, there is nothing that he is unable to do. But we pray to a God who cares for us, we're told in 1 Peter 5, 7. 
If he wasn't interested in helping us, all of that mighty power of God would be useless to us. But in the scriptures, we meet a God who is both willing and able to help us. He is powerful and loving. He is mighty and caring. He is just the combination that we need to bear all of our anxieties. Particularly because what is impossible with us is possible with God. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is in work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God is not just able to do anything that we ask. That alone would make him worth praying to. He can do more. God can do immeasurably more than we ask. And God cannot just do immeasurably more than we can ask, but God can do immeasurably more than we could imagine to ask. And that's why a person sitting in a room alone, asking for things from a person they cannot see, hasn't gone mad. When you think about it, when just, if you watch someone praying, it's an odd thing, isn't it? They are, you know, sitting on their own, speaking to someone they can't see and asking for things. It's one of the strangest things in the world. But not if you understand what God has said to us about prayer. Not if you understand what the scriptures say. In that case, that person who prays is actually the most sane, the most sensible person in all of the worlds. Because they are speaking to a God who is powerful. They are speaking to a God who cares. And they are speaking to a God who is listening. But secondly then, after hearing our prayers, God does do something else as well. Uh, There's another step that's really important for us to understand. Because after hearing our prayers, God also, he considers them. Uh, He thinks about them. He he deliberates on them. and, And what he will do in response to our prayers. And it's really important that we understand our God properly at this point. Uh, Sometimes we can imagine uh, that God is almost like a a heavenly butler, uh, kind of there to bring us whatever it is that we need, whenever it is that we ask for. Or sometimes we can imagine God is a cosmic vending machine that we can somehow whack with prayer until goodies rain down from the sky. But that is not what God is like. Our God is a great king. He has plans and purposes that predate the creation of this world. He is active in accordance with his own desires, his own good and perfect will. And so prayer is never a magic formula that we can somehow utter uh, that kind of twists God's arm and, and forces him to act in a way that we might imagine that we want him to act. Instead, prayer is the petitioning of a great king. I don't remember where I, I, I heard it first. It's an, it's an old saying, but I do enjoy it, so I do love sharing it with you. Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring for his grace and power as such that none can ever ask too much. That's what prayer is. We're asking God. Um, and he chooses how he will answer in accordance with his will. 
And so when he hears our prayers, he thinks about them. He weighs them up. He, he considers his own plans, his own purposes before deciding he will answer us. But here is the extraordinary thing for us to understand in all of this, my friends. God can change his mind. God changes his mind in response to our prayers. And even the very course of history in response to our prayers. And you'll never see that more clearly than in Exodus chapter 32. Come with me to Exodus 32, would you? Um, it's, a, it's a horrible and it's a wonderful chapter. It's well worth reading uh, if you get the time this week. Exodus 32 is uh, just after God has gathered his people together, his newly rescued people together at Mount Sinai. Uh, and Moses ascends up the mountain of God that is blanketed with the smoke and the fire and the, and the weightiness of God's presence. And he goes up the mountain, Moses, to receive the law of God, the teaching of what it now means for them to be God's holy people. Only he's up there for quite some time. He's up there for 13 chapters or so. And in the meantime, the people of Israel commit a great sin. Instead of worshipping the one true God who has rescued them, they bow down before a golden calf and worship it as their saviour. Only moments ago, they witnessed the, the ten plagues against Egypt and her idolatry. And they were rescued through the Red Sea and they were fed with manna and quail. And even now, they're at a mountain camp where the whole of the earth is trembling, is groaning under the weight of God's glory. And yet, what do they do? They bow down to the crude statue of a baby cow and call it God. And so God's anger burns against them and he prepares himself to wipe them away. And here's where the story gets interesting because at this point, Moses prays to God on behalf of the people. And what, what does he pray? Exodus chapter 32, verse 11. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac and Israel to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them and it will be their inheritance forever. Verse 14, then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster that he had threatened. Just pause for a moment. Just dwell on that last little verse. Just dwell on that, that verse 14. God relents. Actually, literally, God repents. God completely changes his mind about what he was going to do. He was going to do one thing. But now, because Moses has prayed, he will do something else. He was going to wipe out the people of Israel and start again with Moses. But now, because Moses has prayed, he instead will show them mercy. He instead will care for them. Because Moses prayed. God listened. God considered what Moses said. God weighed up the arguments. He, and then he thought about his plans and God changed them. All because Moses prayed. And there on that day, Moses' prayer changed the world. How? 
I don't think I fully understand. But the scriptures are full of moments like this, full of moments where the greats of, of the scriptures, Abraham, Hannah, David, Solomon, Elijah, Daniel, even the Lord Jesus himself. The, the Bible, in fact, is chock full of prayers that change the world because someone prayed and God changed his mind. One of the most truly remarkable things that the Bible teaches us is this. God has chosen to use the prayers of his people as one of the ways in which he brings about his purposes in the world. By our prayers, we cooperate with God in the building of his kingdom. He chooses to use us, and in particular, God chooses to use our prayers. When we pray, things happen in the world. Sometimes God waits and acts only after God's people have prayed. It's hard to believe, and yet that is what the Bible teaches us. And so just kind of revel in, the, in that, that truth for a moment. God hears our prayers, God considers them, and sometimes God even changes his mind. God takes our words uttered in prayer seriously. In fact, we could talk about this all day, but, you know, in fact, one of the things that's amazing about this is it shows us our relationship with God is actually a two-way street. It's not somehow that God is on high and he speaks to us and we obey, he commands us and we, we listen. It's, it's not all kind of from God to us. It goes the other way as well. We speak and God hears and he really hears so much so that sometimes he even changes his mind. What an incredible thing. Never be tempted to think that prayer is a waste of time. Never be tempted to think that prayer is powerless or weak or foolish or that somehow prayer is a substitute for real and substantial action. Prayer is action. Prayer is doing something. Prayer is substantial. Prayer is powerful because our God is powerful. And he listens. And he considers. And of course, finally now, last of all, God also answers our prayers. Here we are. Now we can finally come to the heart of the matter. When we pray, God answers our prayers. But of course, sometimes God says yes. And sometimes God says not yet. Sometimes it's not yet God's timing. But sometimes God says no. And that's what we're thinking about this morning, isn't it? Why did God say no to our prayers for Mike? Our temptation is to look at those times when God says no to our prayers and imagine that maybe God has not heard us. And yet what have we seen today? No, that's not true. The scriptures remind us again and again, God does listen to our prayers. Or perhaps God has not considered what we said, but no, God does consider what we say. Or sometimes we can imagine that, no, maybe the problem is me. Maybe I lack faith or uh, maybe I'm just not a, a good enough Christian for God to listen to my prayers and to say yes to them. Is God's willingness to say yes or no somehow dependent upon me? But that's not true either, is it? Come with me to Mark chapter 14, verses 32 to 
to 42. Finally, we, we come to the reading. So far, everything has just been the longest introduction to a sermon that you've ever heard. No, don't worry. I, don't worry. We're almost there, my friends. I just want to make one little point out of this wonderful passage in Mark chapter 14. Just to focus on, on verse 36, would you? Verse 36, where, where Jesus prays. And he says, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. This is a wonderful moment in the Gospel of Mark. It's a wonderful moment of intimacy between God the Father and his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. A moment of prayer at the most stressful and, and gut-wrenching moment in all of Jesus' earthly ministry. But it's also the most surprising no to prayer in all of the Bible. Whenever you might get frustrated that God is somehow saying no to you, remember this passage and remember that God said no to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the Lord Jesus. He is the perfect petitioner. He is Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the holy one, the very son of God. And Jesus is not just the perfect petitioner, he is praying the perfect prayer. In essence, he is praying that an innocent and sinless man be rescued from those who hate him without reason. It's the perfect prayer. And Jesus is even humble enough to acknowledge that the decision is God's and God's alone. Not my will, but yours be done, he says. And how does God choose to answer the perfect prayer from the perfect petitioner? God says no. God says no. Why? Because God had something better in mind. And so God says no to the perfect petitioner praying the perfect prayer because God had in mind the salvation of us all. The better thing that God had planned was that Christ might die for our sins and be raised to life as the promise of eternal life to all who follow him. And by doing so, God did something much better than saving one innocent man from death. God saved a guilty one, a guilty people from death. And our very salvation... Uh, our, uh, the very basis of our prayers, the very basis of our whole relationship with God is all dependent on God saying no to this prayer of Jesus in Mark 14. Uh, Tim Keller was a, another brother that we lost to pancreatic cancer despite many prayers. And Tim Keller said that when we pray, God either gives us what we asked for or he gives us what we would have asked for if we knew everything that he knew. So what did God do with our prayers for Mike? He said no. But he said yes to something greater. He said yes to something better. He said yes to something that had we understood what God understood, we too would have prayed for. And so God did not heal Mike because he had something better in mind. 
he had in mind to take Mike to glory. So that the next time that we do see him, we will see our prayers answered. The next time we see Mike, we will see him risen from the dead, resurrected. We will see him free from cancer, free from pain, healed in every way. Once again, he'll be able to sit during meetings. We will see him more glorious than we have ever seen him in the past. But God also did something else. See, God has done something even almost as glorious as as resurrection. God has taught us. God has taught us to number our days, to realise how short life can be. God has taught us to grieve, but as those who have hope. But God has even taught us to pray. But perhaps the greatest thing that God taught us through Mike's death is this. God taught us that when there is something that we really feel like we need, when we want something with great intensity, we don't find it hard to pray. Prayers come easily and naturally when we're desperate. When we know that we need God's help, we never fail to ask. See, God taught us to be desperate. It's true. You know, and if this is true, our, our difficulty with prayer is not so much our understanding of prayer or even our understanding of God, so much as it is to do with our understanding of ourselves. Our difficulty is that most of the time we are not desperate. Our difficulty is that most of the time we do not believe that we really need God. Most of the time we think that we can manage, we can cope, we can kind of deal with the anxieties of life on our own that somehow we do have all the resources that we need. And part of our sinful hearts would actually prefer it that way. We prefer to be independent. Uh, We prefer not to believe that really what we are, which is completely useless. We can't quite acknowledge the truth that not a second goes by in our life where we do not need our God. It's very easy to live with the illusion of independence, but Mike's death shatters those illusions. Mike's sickness and death taught us to be desperate, as all such moments in life ought to do. And Mike died in June. And we've begun to adapt to life without him, haven't we? We have to. We've begun to to move on as we must and as is natural. But in the process, I fear that we will forget the things we learnt in those long months of Mike's illness. That we will forget our desperate need. That we will forget our deep dependence upon God, our our smallness before our great King. We will forget that actually, that is what all of life is like. But if we can learn the lesson of Mike's death well, if we can learn to be desperate before God, then I am confident to say that God has taught us more through Mike's death than he ever taught us through Mike's life. Christian prayerlessness in my own life, as much as in anyone's life, is as incomprehensible as it is prevalent. So more than anything else, I want us today to remember 
our desperate need of God. We need him. Every person in this world, every person that you have ever met, every person that you have ever known needs God. And if you understand that, if you remember that, if you, if you consider that, then you will naturally pour out your hearts towards God. And he will listen, and he will consider, and he will answer. And he will give us what is best for us, like the loving Heavenly Father that he is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Mike. We thank you for all that he was, for all that you made him to be. And we thank you for all that he taught us. But Lord, help us to learn this last lesson of Mike's well. Help us to be desperate before you. Help us to remember always our our desperate need for you. And help us to remember your willingness to listen and to answer all of our needs. And so, Lord, we pray, teach us to be a people of prayer, always ready to pour out our anxious hearts to you. And this we petition you through the great King you have given us, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.